Hey there, everybody. It's good to see you here on video. Now, now just let me know. I'd love to, to be there and do this message in person. And uh, but uh, just given the way symptoms are in our house, uh, we will uh, not pass the screening, I don't think, to come to church today. And so, uh, as well, I, I'm doing pretty good, at least the moment of recording the video. And so I praise God that at least uh, if others aren't that great, that God has certainly, uh, for this season, for this moment, allowed me to feel pretty good moving forward. And uh, although I did test, came back negative, so who knows? Anyways, not that you need to know all that. And you would have heard that already if we, the technology and stuff worked. Now, for the record, uh, I'm coming to you from a little bit of frustration this morning. Well, it's not even morning now, but this is the second time recording the video. And I had, I recorded the whole thing. I got to the conclusion of our message and then the camera just stopped and deleted the, everything that I had just recorded. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. And I'm uh, still smiling, still praising God, and that's great. So uh, anyways, that's just a fun fact. Um, but I really wanted to get uh, this message to you today. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that we have a great team. So thankful for Pastor Katie and for Brandon and for our leadership and all of you. And I know that church goes on whether I'm there or not, but I just love to be there, obviously. But to just really feel for this series that we're in got for, you know, church on the move. I just uh, really wanted to get this, this message across today. And so we're going to head to Isaiah chapter 6 in just a minute. But if you want to get there in your Bible or open it up on your app or something like that, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to talk about Isaiah's call today. And we've been in this series now uh, for a few weeks uh, into January here. And the first week we talked about obedience over offering. You know, God doesn't care about our rituals. He doesn't care about our actions if our hearts uh, are not responding out of obedience to him. And, and that really is the heart of this, this series is that everything that we would do, every movement that we would make, it would be honoring and pleasing to God because of our love for him, not out of our obligation for him. And the next week, we talked about the idea that nobody will know, right? No one's going to know. How are they going to know? No one's going to know. And the, re the reality is, is that God always knows. We're not hiding anything from him. And so he says, look, bring everything into the light because I can handle your sin. I can handle the things of darkness and I can transform them and bring them to light. And so we, we read through Isaiah 2 verse 5 or chapter 2 to 5. And then we read from Ephesians, and this is what it says in Ephesians 5 and 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so our prayer really is, God, would you expose those things that would uh, not be honoring to you so that you could redeem us and restore us? And then last week, we had the privilege of hearing from Pastor Elizabeth uh, talk about uh, that's what, or, or talking about dreams and doing what dreamers do. And this is a, a really great opportunity for us to just pause and see so many incredible examples of God giving men and women in the Bible dreams and visions of what he wants to do. And so I prayer today is that this would be a continuation of that message as we kind of jump back into Isaiah and talk about his call and an incredible encounter that he has with our living God that really sets the course of his ministry. And he doesn't necessarily get a dream or a vision in this moment, but he does receive a message to give to the people that God has made his own, his covenant people. Now, I really loved last week about doing what dreamers do. And let me just encourage you, do not stop dreaming. 
get yourself in a position where you can dream about heaven. Get yourself in where you can dream about heaven on earth and what that means for the world around us because that is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring his kingdom. He came to bring the kingdom of God to this earth and that's what he did when he taught us how to pray. He said, uh, as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so that is our vision today, our vision, our mission, even as a church, as we love God and as we love people around us. And as you look around the room, we have our core values on the wall. These are all exist to bring the kingdom of God to the North Shore. And so don't stop dreaming. Get yourself in a position to learn how to dream. And so we want to we kind of answer this question last week of what should we do when we have a dream or a vision from God? And I would say, just go back and listen to last week's message. And if you want to do that, our website's the easiest place to get there. TheNorthShore.Church slash movement will bring you right to the playlist of this series. And you can look that up. Do what dreamers do on uh, the message that Elizabeth did. But we kind of answered that question. Well, what do we do when God gives us a dream or a vision? And then the other question we want to ask through this series, or at least today in part of our series, for a church on the move. Okay, I'm a part of this church, God. I'm going to be on the move. What do you actually want me to do? And so we're going to read Isaiah and we're going to see the encounter that he had with God and the marching orders he got from God to go and do what it was that he was called to do. And I hope that this helps us establish some next steps for your faith and for mine and for our church as a whole on what exactly it is that God wants us to do. And so if you have your Bibles, I said we would head over to Isaiah chapter six, and that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So the year is uh, 740 BC or 739, depending on what book you read, but it's about that time and it's the year that King Uzziah died. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. So this is a bit of a vision that he's having. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. And this is powerful. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Here's an amazing moment that happens to Isaiah. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook the temple and was filled with smoke. Now, this is important because if you know anything about Bible history, uh, God's presence has often been associated with a cloud or with fire or with smoke. And so as they begin to praise God, they see the temple is full of his presence as the smoke fills the temple. And in this moment, Isaiah has an incredibly awkward and amazing like experience. And this is what he says in verse five. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. <laughs> then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken from the tongs from the taken with tongs from the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips 
your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this is what Isaiah responded with. Here I am, send me. And God says, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, keep praying this message, or keep preaching this message until cities lie in ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. All right, lots to unpack here in today's reading from Isaiah. Where to begin? Well, let's begin at the at, at the beginning. At the beginning. You know, Isaiah has just this incredible vision, and he's it's almost like he's transported to heaven in this moment transported into the throne room of God. And we see that in this moment, the seraphim that are there, they proclaim these words, holy, holy, holy. Now, if you've done any reading in Hebrew, you might already know this, but when we see words that are repeated, and we, especially when we see them three times, they specifically do that to emphasize a point. And so we see Isaiah is the one writing down what happened, his experience. And he's also replicating and communicating to us the fact that God is utterly, completely holy. It emphasizes the Lord is absolutely holy. And in this case of Isaiah's vision, God's holiness is first and foremost about his sovereignty over the world. A sovereignty that transcends everything else. And at the same time, in his holiness, it encompasses God's moral authority. Now, what does all that mean? Bottom line is this, is that there is nothing in this world that can compare to the glory and the holiness of God. God is far, far above everything else of this world. And the mere fact that he invites us into his presence is just amazing. And then what's incredible is that in this moment, Isaiah has this realization. Well, if God is so holy, then I clearly am not. And not only am I not holy, I'm not even worthy to praise him. Like just pause for that on that sec for a second. Not only is God holy, which means I'm not, I am so far removed from the holiness of God that I cannot even praise him. I can't even bring praise to his name. And so we see this incredible moment. The seraphists, they come and they touch his lips and it's symbolically cleanses Isaiah's sin. Now he stood holy and clean before God. In that moment, praise was the order of the day. That was what was scheduled for that day, as is every day, that on this day, they were going to praise, and Isaiah was excluded. 
And he, he actually excluded himself. He, I mean, he was excluded because of his sin, but he recognized that he was unable to praise because of his sin. He was not even qualified to praise the Lord. His lips were unclean, which out of his sin, because of his sin, which had rejected the Holy One of Israel. But because of his confession, you know, he pauses there and he says, woe to me, I am ruined. But because of his confession and his repentance in that moment, because of his recognition in that moment, the seraph comes and he is cleansed, which makes him worthy to praise. It makes him worthy to praise. Like this amazes me. Like if we don't pause and if we don't ever take the moment to recognize where we stand with God and where we are apart from him, we too are unworthy to even praise God. I mean, all those songs we just sang that praise God and things that we do every week and all, all the rituals, you know, we took up our offering probably already or whatever you've, you've done, all of that means nothing if we don't recognize our place with God. You know, if we don't ever recognize God's supreme authority in our lives, his transcendence and his holiness, then how can we ever give legitimate praise? I mean, there are seasons where, and I pray that this isn't always true, but I know that it is, is that we, we can even be blinded to the sin in our life. We don't even see it anymore. We don't see it, that is, until we have an incredible encounter with the holiness of God then we realize we're not even worthy to speak his name or lift him up in praise. But God, somebody say, but God. Don't feel too down yet because God always makes a way. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse us from our sin, to restore us, restore our lips and make them worthy to praise again. Now take a moment in this, in this time and just pause about the awe and wonder of who God is. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He's the ruler of nations, the healer, the baptizer, the savior, our soon coming king. He's the one that holds everything together. And apart from him, we would not exist or we could cease to exist apart from him. Like, this is the God that we are talking about. This is the God that Isaiah met with. This is the God who has reached down from heaven so that you and I would continue to exist and we would continue to praise him. In that moment of holiness and awe and wonder of God, Isaiah has this realization that now that I've been made clean, I can do whatever God needs to get done. I can praise him without reservation, but there's more. God says, we have a mission coming up. We have something that we need to do. Who will go? And Isaiah in his moment of redemption says, here I am, send me. And he says it without reservation. He just throws up his hand and says, here I am, God, I'm ready, send me. And this is before he's even received the marching orders. This is before he even knows how hard it's going to be. This is before he even hears what the message is. Like when Pastor Gary comes to some of you and says, hey, I would like you to consider taking on, you know, maybe this position, doing this ministry. Or could you help out? And the response is, well, Pastor, let me pray about it. Right. I mean, that's it's great. That's great to pray about it. And he said, well, tell me a little bit more about that now. Of course, let me just say I am with you on that approach 100 percent. But following Jesus, 
being made whole and redeemed by him, it's almost as if we're saying, okay, I'm raising my hand and, and, and re- responding to your, my need for repentance and my need for salvation. On the other hand, I'm raising it to say, whatever you need me to do, God, I'm yours because you're holy. I'm not. You made me holy. I am your servant. And so it's exactly what Isaiah does. He's saying, my life belongs to you, God. Here I am. Send me. The Lord accepts Isaiah's offer and commissions him to go preach a message to his covenant community, the people of God. And they were so distanced and so alienated from God that the message that he's going to bring is going to hurt a little bit. Now, pay attention to this figure of speech that is used in verse 10. Uh, Make the heart of the people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn be healed. Well, yeah, isn't that what you want, God? Isn't that what you want the response of my preaching to be? But, you know, all of the, the people of God would actually have ears to ear, hear, and eyes to see, and hearts to be healed. Don't you want their land to be healed? And God, of course, the answer we know is yes, then why is God saying this? Well, remember when we talked about prophets a couple weeks ago, that they often will use different figures of speech, different literary structures. And in this case, they have a moment of conversation between God and Isaiah that is full of sarcasm, right? Like heaven forbid, their eyes are open and they're healed. Like that's exactly what he's saying. You know, if we were to, To kind of paraphrase it, this is what it would sound like. Hey, uh, Isaiah, uh, your preaching, uh, it's going to be so good that it's going to desensitize the minds of these people, making their hearing dull. It's going to blind their eyes and harden their hearts. Your preaching is going to be that good. Now, now, if God said that to me when I was called to come be the pastor in Terrace Bay and fully believe God called us to be here for this season, to be here, right here, right now. We've been here like four and a half, almost five years and next year, interview was almost what, five years ago coming up. Anyways, side the point. We knew that God called us here. Now, could you imagine if God said to me, Gary, I'm calling you and your family to move to this town in northern Ontario on the North Shore to be their pastor, to see you move. We're going to do all these things. You're going to serve hot dogs. You're going to, to preach every week. You're going to lead people in praise and worship. And we're going to see lives change and all this and that. And he says, but by the way, uh, everyone you talk to, you're just going to drive away farther away from me. And everything that you do is going to push people farther away from me. And uh, they're, uh, no matter what you do, it's just going to be hard. <laughs> and so then you kind of go, well, what's the point? And Isaiah could have done that. He could have just said, well, What's the point of this message, God? If it's just going to drive people further away from you, then what's the point? What's Why is this a big deal? But if we dig a little bit deeper, we push through the sarcasm, we know and we see that God's heart really is reconciliation. And even though rejection is coming, even though we can look ahead in the Bible and we can look in the past and we can know that the people's hearts were hardened, they had eyes that were blind, their ears didn't hear, We know that God's heart is still reconciliation. Despite the sarcasm, God commissions Isaiah as one of divine hardening. Because here's the fact, God did not have to send Isaiah at all. He could have just said, could have just given up. He could have just pulled what he did with Noah and the ark and just flooded the earth and said, let's just start 
again, but that's not what God did. God actually sent Isaiah. By sending him, God drove sinful people farther from him because of Isaiah's preaching, which focused on the Lord's covenant demands. It also focused on his impending judgment upon their rebellion, which actually forced the people to confront their sin and continue to desensitize them as they responded negatively towards this message. And so he kind of go, well, Gary, that sounded hopeful, but then it turned for the worst. You see, the people had gotten to such a point, they didn't even realize their sin anymore. Even Isaiah, right? We see this. He doesn't even know how sinful he is until he enters into the presence of God. And then he realizes the holiness, the majesty, the awe and wonder of who God is. And he goes, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to praise. And then God makes him holy in that moment and forgives him of his sin and atones his sin and makes him holy so that he can praise. The people don't even know that they're sinning. They don't even realize the depth and the darkness of their sin. And yet in this moment, we realize that the fact that Isaiah is going to preach, they are going to realize. They are going to realize and then they're not going to care. And that has got to be one of the most heartbreaking moments of this message is that they actually reject Isaiah's message because they don't want to hear what he has to say. And in 39 years from this moment, we see that the judgment catches up with them. The prophesied judgment is fulfilled when the Assyrians come and they devastate the land in 701 BC. Now we know Prophets, from reading through the Bible, that prophets aren't always loved. They're not everyone's favorite people. They may be highly respected, but no one wants to talk to the prophet. They don't want to know what God is saying about them. I mean, really, would you want that in your life to be like, hey, by the way, (laughs) this is what's going to happen to you, and it's not going to be nice because of what you've done and because of who you are. I mean, no one really wants to talk to the prophet. The work they have to do is incredibly hard, and following Jesus can be incredibly hard. And so then we go, well, what's the point if they're not going to turn away anyway? I mean, if you've been watching the movie, you know, the latest Disney animation classic in Canto, I mean, no one wants to talk about Bruno because he's kind of like a prophet. And whenever he says, hey, this is bad's going to happen, it happens and it ruins a wedding and kills their fish. The whole thing. No one wants to talk about their sin. No one wants to talk about judgment. No one wants to talk about the evil darkness things. But if we go back to a couple weeks ago, We know that Ephesians tells us, have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We have to talk about it. Just because you don't want to talk about something, you have to talk about it. And what better place to talk about it than in the presence of God? You know, I really believe that when we gather together on, on Sundays, when we gather together over the phone, on Zoom, when we get together as God's people, that we create a place of safety, create a place in God's presence that keeps us holy, that encourages and lifts up one another, that allows us the opportunity to say, hey, God, would you search my heart? Would you cleanse me? And we have an opportunity to share those and expose those things so that we can walk in the holiness that God has called us to do, so that we can praise him without blemish on our hearts. And so what causes Isaiah to to say, here I am, Lord, send me? And what causes him to follow through on this moment? What causes him to follow through on this vision and this message from God? It's because he saw something in the holiness and majesty of God that was far greater than he'd ever experienced on this earth. 
because he had experienced the very presence of God that God actually desired for all of his children and all of creation to experience. I mean, God created us for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. He doesn't want you to be far from him. He wants you to experience the glory and the joy and the ever long presence of God all the time, everywhere you go. So I would just say, God, would you help us in this moment? Give us a little taste of heaven. Lord, give us a vision to see. Give us dreams of God to see what heaven on earth looks like. What does heaven on the North Shore look like? You know, in Scriber, as it is in heaven. In Rossport, in Terrace Bay, as it is in heaven. God, give us a dream of what that actually looks like. You know, the joy that heaven brings. May we see that here. And I just believe in Jesus' name that maybe this would even be a little bit prophetic in itself. That God, we would see your kingdom come on the North Shore as it is in heaven. You were encouraged last week, do what dreamers do. See the possibilities because vision and dreams move us to action. Not only do we get our own lives transformed when we respond to the presence of God, but God uses us to bring others along with us. It's not just any action. It's an action, of course, that is hard because anything worth doing is hard, right? Isn't that the expression? Well, that's not necessarily true, but... Often what God calls us to do is hard. It's not easy. You know, I, I often wonder, is that our moment that we just tend to run away is when things get hard? Like I pray and I pray and I pray that we have such an experience with the presence of God that no matter how hard it gets, we continue to persevere with everything. And we continue to lean on Jesus and we continue to lean in his spirit. But of course, one of the most heartbreaking moments is that Isaiah fulfills his mission, his call, and the people understand who God is. They understand his holiness. They understand where they stand with him. And yet they still choose to do their own thing. That's heartbreaking. But there's still hope, right? There's always hope. Hope, because even though the judgment of God was coming and the people would be separated from their land that God promised them, God was going to remain faithful to his promise of sending hope and of sending a savior. Now, there's some, there's some um, as you get to verse 13, there's some dispute here on from different biblical scholars on what this actually means. And so I want to let you choose your own interpretation today. The first is this talks about a remnant that's going to remain in the land. A tenth of the people of the population is going to remain in the land. The rest are going to be either slaughtered, killed, or taken off into slavery. But the rest are going to remain in the land. And it talks about the tree that is cut down, the oak tree, and a stump remains of the covenant people. Now, this could be very hopeful because maybe you've cut down a tree yourself. And, you know, after a little while, and you see little branches start to grow out of that tree. And you think, well, this is a good Thing. This is new life growing out of the promised covenant people. And it's true. That's very hopeful message. And there are some to say that God remained a whole or there remained a holy remnant dedicated to who God was and to their service to him and the covenant that he made with them. And then there's the other interpretation. You can pick that one if you want. But the other interpretation is a little bit more negative. Because if you plant an oak tree, you cut down an oak tree, you leave the stump, it's going to produce what? Another oak tree. And so other scholars would go, well, 
the fact is that the stump would remain, a remnant would remain, but we're not so sure that they would remain holy either. Because what we learn is you can't have perfection with imperfection. If I were to go to the store and I wanted to build the perfect house, I would need every scrap of lumber to be perfectly square and straight. Well, especially with COVID lumber shortages and quality control and all of this stuff, you don't know what kind of lumber you're going to get these days. And so how are you supposed to build the perfect house with imperfect lumber? It just can't be done. And so I actually kind of subscribe to this second interpretation that the scholars believe that even though a remnant remains, they're not actually going to remain holy or in covenant with God. And you say, well, Pastor Gary, that's not very hopeful at all. What hope remains if that's what you believe? Well, here's the thing. Is that even in their imperfection as well, even in the remnant that was left behind, And even if they turn their backs on God as well and are not holy and faithful to him, God's promises still exist. God is still sending a Messiah. God still promised to send a Savior. And out of all of that imperfection, we see that his son, Jesus Christ, is still sent to be our Savior. He is still sent to to be the Holy One of Israel, to be the only Holy One who takes the weight of the world, who takes the weight of our sin, who takes the judgment of our Father God, of His Father, who receives the punishment for our sin and wrongdoing, so that you and I, imperfect, could be free from our burdens of trying to be perfect. We don't have to try, because if we can try as hard as we want, we will never be as holy as God apart from Jesus. Jesus comes and he frees us from this burden that we have. And so no matter how you interpret the end of that chapter, whether you want the feel-good version and you wouldn't be wrong, or whether you want the reality version, maybe it's not the reality version, but the version that I believe that even in their remnant, even though they're left behind, that doesn't automatically make them holy, whatever interpretation you want, the bottom line is this, is that Jesus is the only one who is perfect and the only one who can save and he saves us from the beginning to the end. His holiness changes us. Christ defeats death and he is raised to life and we are raised with him. That's who our heavenly father is. And that's the real message that Isaiah is given. He's saying, look, the more you recognize your sin, the sooner you recognize it, realize that there's hope for you. Realize that you can turn from God. And if you don't, judgment is coming. And you are going to be separated from God and separated from his promises. And God says, I don't want that for my people. I have to send somebody to bring hope. I have to send somebody that's going to literally bring the presence of God to this world. Remember, Isaiah had a vision of the presence of God and he got to experience it in that vision. But what God really wanted, he wanted to bring his presence to earth. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And he does that every time we gather together. He does it every time you pray, every time you take a moment to read something from his word. The presence of God fills your life. And the presence of God is never meant to stay. It's meant to grow and expand and move us. So here's our conclusion today. What does this mean for us today, Pastor Gary? No matter how hard it gets following God, Hold on to the vision. Hold on to the dream that he's given to you because it's a holy vision. Hold on to the vision of heaven on earth. At the end of the day, it is not for nothing. 
Perseverance means pursuit in difficult times. No matter how little or how hard it gets, never lose sight of Jesus and his glorious kingdom. Never lose sight of the hope we have in him. In the worst of times, God's, God will raise up the righteousness through you. Don't stop being his witnesses. Don't stop just because people don't want to listen or respond. Pursue Jesus no matter what and do what he's called you to do. So what should we do when we have a vision from God? Go back and listen to Elizabeth's message last week. But here's a few things that we can take away. Recognize the holy and majesty of God. Recognize his supremacy because it allows us to see our humanity. It might be a hard task, and it was for Isaiah to say, hey, I'm ruined. There's, there's no hope for me. And in that moment of realizing his humanity, God makes a way to make him holy. God atones his sins. He forgives him. It's the same for us. When we actually take a minute, we can see God making us holy and clean. So here's five things, five R's, if you will. First one, receive. Get yourself in a position to receive a vision or a dream from the Lord. Get yourself in a position to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Get your place, get, find yourself in the right place with the right attitude. Here I am, Lord, send me. Receive from God. Number two, recognize. Somebody say recognize. Recognize God's holiness. Recognize his power. Recognize his supremacy. Recognize who God is. And number three, respond. Respond, respond, respond. Now remember that no response is actually a response. Silence is actually a response. It's actually a rejection. But respond with humility. Respond with repentance. Give God your sin. Give God the ability to bring it to light. Let God's grace make you whole and holy. Number three, remember we're saying, here I am, send me. Number three, or four rather, release. He has made you blameless. He has now released you from your burden. And he's released you to do God's good, holy, perfect, and pleasing will for your life. It's kind of like catch and release fishing, the worst kind of fishing you can do, right? But you can only catch fish that are a certain size. You got to release the others so that they can go and produce more fish. God is releasing you from your burden, but he's releasing you to go do his good, perfect, pleasing will. And finally, number five, rejoice. Live your life with abundant joy. You have no burdens. You have no fears. No matter how hard it gets, God's always with you. No matter how hard and difficult it gets and how great it gets, you're pursuing the kingdom of God and God's kingdom is coming and making a difference no matter what, even if we don't see it on the side of heaven. A holy joy can never be taken away. When the mission is hard, praise God a little bit more in every moment because that is what you were made to do. It's what you were saved to do. Praise God to whom all blessings flow. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to live in abundant joy. Pursue Jesus and his kingdom. Respond, here I am, send me. Remember, we are a family saved by grace, restored in love, called by God to be a light in the darkness. I pray today that you experience the power and presence of Jesus in a new and mighty way a way that causes us to respond with humility, to respond with, with a realization, God, that we need you. 
Lord, I pray that we would take some time this week to, to Lord, hear from heaven. Lord, and to see visions, to have dreams as we lay our head on the pillow. Lord, maybe as we stare off into space and have a daydream. God, would you just allow us to see the possibilities of what you could do through our lives as we surrender to you. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace that, Lord, there's no sin that you cannot handle, that you, you, will, not be, you will not run away from us. But even though in our sin we turn away from you and are made unworthy, Lord, I pray we would have the attitude to say, here I am, Lord, here's everything. I give it to you so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made whole and we can be made holy. Lord, send us out with confidence, with perseverance, and Lord, help us with this next step. Lord, as as you've given us a vision and dream, Lord, help us to share that vision. Share it with a pastor, share it with a friend, and Lord, make the dream become a reality. Make the vision become a reality because, Lord, you've called us to be a family, your people. You've called us to be a church on the move. You've called us to be a movement. Lord, a diverse, holy group of people set out to make a difference in this hurting and broken world. Lord, give us our next steps. Give us eyes to see the brokenness. Give us, Lord, the blessings to respond. And Lord, give us the confidence to pursue no matter what. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with me on video today. I know I'd love to be here to do this message in person so I can see the response on your faces and just see what God is stirring in your hearts and your minds. But continue to pursue him with everything that you are and allow God to to shape your life this week in this moment. Uh, and, And may today be the starting point of a change that takes place for the rest of your life. If you want to know more, if you want to experience a little bit more, just spend some time together, pray with one another, do what you have to do, uh, encourage one another and help process this out. Give me a call if you would like. Uh, Feel free to do that. Love to hear from you. And uh, just so glad to have the opportunity to join you here today. Thank you so much, everybody, and God bless.